And welcome back to another episode of Talk Star, where we toss in topics and talk about them. Joining us today is a very special guest. It's our Black it's our Black History Month episode, from struggle to strength. Is our very special guest, Mr. Adam Dixon. Well, thank you. Glad to be here this uh, evening. We got Morgan and Nick. Morgan, we got Morgan Rayford and Nick. Morgan Rogers is out sick, and the rest of the crew has the rest of the day off. Anybody else want to just Morgan? You want to go on and say how you doing? Say hello. Hey guys, I'm doing pretty good. I've had a pretty good week. Um, make sure you study hard and go to your classes. Do not be stupid. Actually, go, please, and thank you. <laughs> and yet again, don't be stupid and don't be stupid. and just protect yourself. Thank you, Nick. Um, I don't have much to say. I uh, I I think I think Morgan hit all the safety briefs. Safety. Don't be stupid <laughs> and go to class. <laughs> But um, uh, thank y'all for joining us again this week. Adam, you want to go ahead and tell the tell the people who you are, just about yourself, and just introduce yourself. Well, good evening uh, to this group, uh, <laughs> Toss and Talk, and uh, to the Toss and Talk universe. Seems like that uh, it's a pretty uh, large group of supporters that uh, <laughs> embrace Toss and Talk by the. By the way, everybody's conducting themselves this evening. That's uh, that's that says something about Dawson Talk. That's very good. Adam Dixon, um, director of the Langston Center, uh, part of the city of Johnson City uh, city government. We sat on the site of what was Langston High School, which was the school for the black population from 1893 to 1965, and uh, we are a multicultural facility. We promote community engagement through the arts, education, and leadership. And uh, we think that it's very important in, in the 21st century to have a multicultural facility. Um, we are authentically multicultural, uh, making inroads with the Latino community and Asian community, African-American community. Um, we, um, we want to tell that story of the black experience in Johnson City and, um, and at Langston High School. Uh, we're looking at creative ways of um, um, recognizing the present because there are disparities and inequality and um, uh, inequities and such in the, uh, in the community. And so we're looking at positive and proactive ways of trying to address that. And then we're also trying to realize the future, uh, what is inclusive community. So uh, that's some of the work that we do here. And sorry to bore you all this evening. You didn't bore me. That's that's something I never knew. Yeah. I never knew about the Langston Center. But I mean, I'm also not from here. So, <laughs> so we uh, we're now four years old, and um, uh, and so uh, we have a vision. Uh, and what what I'm most proud of is that we find a way to balance these issues. These issues have to be handled with, with care. Uh, issues of race, issues of uh, um, multiculturalism. They have to be handled with care, so there's a way to go about that, and that's what mm -hmm. we try to do here. Oh, sorry. <coughs> sorry. <laughs> okay. So as you can see from this episode, today's title of, episode of the episode is From Struggle to Strength. It is our Black History episode. And I kind of want to just open the floor and just let everybody talk. You know, there's no set plan. It's just talk about just our community 
you know, we've come from, you know, just struck from struggle to strength. You know, we come along with, like, my granny would always say that, you know, <clears throat> we, you know, it's a little bit easier for us because back in his day, you know, when police beat on, you know, just not just, you know, black people, black people were, you know, persecuted by, you know, other, by cops and stuff. My granny always said, you know, it's better because it's taped now. Back then it wasn't taped. Hmm. So hmm. let's just open the floor and just go from there. Well, my, uh, I guess, uh, comment, maybe part question for, for you all, when I think about struggle, from struggle to strength, um, one thing that comes to my mind is excellence. Mm. You know, you're in a space being the school for the black population, again, from 1893 to 1965, um, Society said one thing about you, and if you can imagine, 1896, early 1900s, the 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 prevailing notion then was that black people come from apes, or that black people had some animalistic nature. I got to tell you, and again, I'm I'm real curious as as to how you all see this because uh, I grew up among. Um, uh, well, older folks raised me, okay? So I'm, I'm kind of old-timey. And I remember being around some of those older men and women, and they didn't want to be called anything related to an animal. On top of that, um, the whole notion of evolution, they were vehemently opposed to. The idea that you come from a monkey, man, nobody wanted to hear that. And because they came from a time when, again, the monkey, um, you know, was 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 uh, was a reference to black men in particular. Fast forward, you know, we live in an age now where you know uh, one one brother sees another brother and what's up, dog? You know, you know. At one time they used to bark, and uh, and not to mention when two sisters see each other. I mean, you know, it's the female dog. Uh, and and so now there are these references, but to think that back in 1896, early 1900s, the notion was was that black people had an animalistic nature. They came from, they originated from animals. They had this animalistic nature. And so society said one thing about you, and then you would come to the school that said, well, no, you're a human being. You have potential. You can succeed and achieve, even when the society said that you couldn't. You couldn't be dog catcher, let alone president. You could come to school, and the school said you could be an engineer, you could be a doctor, you could be a lawyer, you could be the president of the United States if you worked hard. So, I'm just kind of curious, uh, you know, uh, tossing and talking here a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm kind of curious as to what you all think about. Excellence, when we think about from struggle to strength, what are you all seeing in terms of students and applying yourself? And I mean, is that even an issue now as students of color? Do you all even feel that syndrome that you have to be, you know, a little bit better and you have to apply yourself? And Always. Uh, growing up in, in East Tennessee, you there is always the notion, um, I guess, there's always the notion of the black kid is the dumb kid in the class. The black kid is going to be the class clown. The black kid 
the notion of people that are not cultural to understand the black kid is not the clown. The black kid is not the dumb person in the class. The black kid probably struggles from systematic racism that was put on him from maybe the teacher or maybe people he doesn't even know. Maybe it was the other kid's parents just happened to pick up their kid from school and see that there's a black kid in the, um, in the class. And then they start talking about race. And that's the first time a five-year-old is ever hearing about race. And he's his friend at five years old is getting called a monkey by his parents. And um, while you was thinking, uh, this is touching a little bit off of excellence, I can speak on excellence all day because I feel like black people, I feel like minorities is the example of excellence to be brought to a country, not speaking the language at all, and relatively 200 years later, reading, writing, education and now we're 400 years later and we're even farther advanced i feel like we're going to keep on going but just to have a 200 year setback and still trying to live our culture while still trying to please other people's culture and only taking under 200 years to really thrive in other people's cultures other countries cultures that is the example of excellence. But my question to, because you're so knowledgeable, Mr. Dixon, my question to you is, I'm sorry to throw back questions because I really want to know your answer. Um, do you feel like um, the terminology you was just using, the whole um, female dogs and when it comes to black men using the N-word or saying what's the sub-dog, this, that, and the third, do you feel like it is caused by systematic racism, such as um, one example is a lot of people say, I don't know who owns them, but a lot of people say the people that own the record labels push the agenda of drugs, money, gangs, and push certain lyrics do you feel like it was pushed on purpose to for it to be normalized to us? So I do I do uh, embrace the notion that there are media executives that are making just uh, ungodly sums of cash in the industry. Um, um, and I mean we we just see, we see the front person, but there's a whole lot of people behind the scenes that are that are uh, becoming, again, grossly wealthy um, at our expense. Um, I don't I don't know if I want to get too militant uh, this evening, but uh, uh, but you know we are we are uh, quintessential consumers. We're not. The, uh, the strongest in terms of producing. I'm talking about African Americans. Um, and so um, we, we go to the concerts, we buy, we, uh, um, uh, I was going to say we buy the records, but I'm, I'm dating myself there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're consuming, uh, but, you're, but in terms of, of um, owning and producing, 
very, very different. And so, yes, there are folks, in this case, media executives who are making cash at the expense of folks. Uh, I might be a little more old-fashioned uh, in my mindset. I would, I would argue that we as a people have to understand what empowerment means. Empowerment, um, uh, to me, would be somewhat separate from systematic racism or institutional racism in this context. Um, you know, if I see you as somebody, now again, and I'm kind of dating myself, so let's preface, you know, I'm a little <laughs> older. I'm a little older and may not really understand all the, the machinations of, 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 you know, uh, if I see you and, hey, nigga, what's up? I, you know, I, I, that, doesn't, that doesn't relate to me. Um, so I preface, um, um, could be a whole host of brothers that say that with great love and affection, and I'm just not really getting it. So it could be very generational. But I would argue when I read Black Power, Politics of Liberation, Stokely Carmichael and Charles Hamilton wrote that book, and uh, Carmichael says, you know, brother walking down the street, and you see that other brother, you ought to see that black man as a brother. It's very important when you, if you're really talking about black power and trying to build something in terms of solidarity, and he, and he spoke, he spoke in, in, in terms of two males. He said it's very important to see that person as your brother. So, you know, when I see uh, another black man on the street, um, um, you know, N-I-G-G-A um, just does not come to my mind. Um, knowing that the roots of N-I-G-G-A is N-I-G-G-E-R, that wouldn't come to my mind. Um, but, like I said, I, I, I get it. It's a, it. I think it's very generational, but I think there has to be a point where we are empowered and so I wouldn't really put uh, the use of, of words and phrases that we might use on each other. Frankly, I wouldn't put that on institutional racism. There's a point of empowerment. Case in point, Richard Pryor, you, you know, if you, uh, I don't know if you all would admit to listening to Richard Pryor, but Richard Pryor, you know, uh, many of his concerts, the N-word just drops it left and right until he went to Africa. When he went to Africa and he saw other African people and he, he immersed himself in African culture, he actually came back and, and, and his, you know, his routine was still very sharp, but he talked about the fact, I don't want to use that word anymore. It was a time of empowerment. And so I think that as, uh, as, as black people, African Americans, um, there has to be that point of empowerment. So to me... Another conversation is, is that what does that look like? Because there's, there's, I'm sure there are plenty of black folks that are empowered, but at the same time, it's just part of the culture. You see? And so, so I, I want to, I don't want to be one of those individuals that I'm so, I'm so against something that I'm like rigid, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be open-minded to say that, again, when somebody may say, you know, hey, what's up, and then, th then they use that particular term. Um, it's not an indictment on them. It's, it's, it's the culture, right? But then trying to make sense of the culture in the 21st century time. And sadly, we as black people, this is just part and parcel of, 
who we are in the United States because we see this evolution, right? I mean, if you're if you're you know in slavery and now you're free, and by the time you get to the 1900s, well, I mean, you know, there's a whole generational shift, right? And then you've got some people that lived in segregation, all they know is segregation, then you've got a younger contingent that says, well, let's march, you know, let's fight for freedom. And then now those people get older, and then you have people that are saying, you know, uh, no justice, no peace, Black Lives Matter. And some people are saying, well, wait a second, what happened to We Shall Overcome? There's always this, like, generational shift that takes place in black America. And so we're always trying to evaluate, you know, uh, uh, the way one generation did it and now this other generation. And, and so it just seems like that that's just part and parcel of who we are as a people. We, we've always, I could say that. I could say, yeah, I get what you're saying. Like each generation, I, I want to say, tried to build off of what was given to us by our ancestors. Um, a lot of times our, our generation, um, I would say probably 16 to 35 get really, uh, I would say bagged on by older generations saying that um, we're ruining it. But at the same time, we're trying to do it our way, but at the same time, it, I'm so in the middle because, like you said, I you were raised by older people. I was raised by older people also. Um, so I see both sides, both sides of it. Um, so I see it's just a hard. What do you think? For this question for all of us, what do you think it would take? for us to all come together instead of just being a group of 20 year olds trying to make it for everybody. What do you think would help the six year olds that have been in the marches, the seven year olds that's been in the marches then the 20 year olds that want to make the change and for us to all come together to make something happen? Um, I would say in some sense in all parties, it has to be like a kind of like what Mr. Dixon said, kind of like open mind. Kind of like having an open mind to like not not shutting down each other's opinions, but even being able to just listen and see each other's like because like there's a gap in between somewhere. It's just being able to kind of like open our hearts and our minds to like be in the middle of that gap. I th- that makes sense. Open being open minded. How? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna give a good example. So like it's really hard. I would say it's hard and it's easy because we're seeing it from like millions of different perspectives. Like, we all have the same fight, but 60 years ago is 60 years different from now. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like, yeah, like, they're, like racism may not be as bad, but we're still seeing it. Like, especially being in a PWI, it's every day. You know what I'm saying? Like, especially, like, for me being a criminal justice student, and you walk into, like, I have a police in America class right now. And the first time I walked in, sometimes you can feel people's tension, already wanting to say something, already want to do this. Mm-hmm. And it's only like, I think at most five black people in there, including myself. And the rest is just, you know, mostly white people. And so it's like when you hear certain comments that some people make, you're just sitting there like, you know what, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to listen. Because I think that's what a lot of it is. It's more of us trying to get our opinion out, get our opinion out, but we're not listening. You know, and I've even had I've I've even had to catch myself a lot to kind of, you know what, Morgan, you're gonna sit here, you're gonna listen because the line of duty you're gonna go in, you're gonna be 
tons of people, people that have way different perspectives than you that see di- things completely different, you know? And it's like, if you definitely start talking about racism, it's like you could take, you know, a white person that's, that's all they've ever heard their whole life growing up was in this, in that, like pretty much like demeaning black people or demeaning Hispanic people or Asian people or whatever. But it's like, as black people, we grow up like, oh, you're this, you're that, you know, you got to work hard, you got to work hard. And when those two meet, it clashes. Because we're, we're coming from completely two different roots of people. And then it can also be swapped, too, where you have black people that's grown up where they where their whole family hates white people, their whole family hates Hispanic people, and so on. Then you meet those people, and you're like, wait a minute, what's going on? And I think it's a lot of just sitting down and just actually listening to people. And it's hard. It really is. Like, I've been in so many classes for criminal justice where I've heard some wild things come out of people's mouths. I've heard people whisper things under their breath, and you're just like, wow. <laughs> you know, it, it really, like, as, as a, not only just a black person, but as a black woman that's in criminal justice, it takes a lot of strength to be in those classes. A lot. That is all I have to say. And, you know, and not kind of like, jumping off a little bit of the topic of what we were talking about, like, especially someone that is of the lighter complexion, you hear it, you hear things and you see things a little bit differently because it's like, you know, growing up, I was mostly around, you know, white people. This is East Tennessee. That's what you're going to get. But then you have some people that don't automatically know that you're black or automatically know that you're a person of color and they say things and do things. You're like, what? You know? And you're like, hey, I'm, I'm black, I'm a person of color. And they're like, what? Whoa, you know? No. So it, like, changes, automatically changes our whole perspective of you. And that's why I said it's, like, I think it's, it's in some way, it's really hard to really see where everyone's coming from because we're not seeing where everyone's coming from. We're automatically seeing, oh, well, this is how I feel, this is how I feel, but how does everybody else feel? You know, and it's hard to see like that because the way you may feel may offend me in the way I feel may offend you mm. so it's just I don't know I feel like I feel like that's um an issue that we'll always have as people whether it's black and black or black and white or black and Hispanic we'll always have that because it's just we're too much of a ever-growing country where some parts of us are building and some parts of us are coming together but yet we still have those rounded roots in us that a lot of us just can't let go because it's still being taught it's still being there like racism so now you're not born racist. You're taught to be racist. So it's just like, that's just an ever, it's an ever-grown battle. So. You think it has to do with pride? Maybe. Not not even just pride, but just like, kind of like a hardness to, I can't, figure, I, can't figure, I can't figure out the word I'm trying to say. You get what I'm trying to say? Yes and no. Keep warming it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, not pride. But kind of like you said, like a kind of like not willing to like let it go, and kind of I would say maybe like a Remy is a little bit of pride, pride and like not the holding on to your the same mindset that you need to grew up to maybe like opening up to seeing like the the gap in between because you know there's a there's like the age gap there's probably like a mindset gap. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you know, I find it interesting. You brought up pride. Um, I don't know how deeply faith-centered Toss and Talk is. We'd read Christian-based podcast. Okay. All, right. <laughs> All, right. All right. So um, I will, I'll admit something to the Toss and Talk universe. I'm struggling 
um, with the whole notion, um, with the whole notion that the ills that we face in our country related to race are inherently spiritual. So, grew up with the whole idea that uh, racism would be the result of sin, right? Sin came on the earth, and and so until the heart is changed, um, people are going to be who they're going to be. And then, you know, one day I'm introduced to institutional racism. Institutional racism is telling me that there's laws and policies that the country has developed and codified uh, and it's those laws and policies. And so now you, you, can, you can have a country that exists for 248 years. Soon it will be 250 years. And something could have been passed back in 1822, uh, but that policy has just stayed and it's lasted. And so now we've got generations um, um, in the future, people get along, people smile at each other, wave at each other, but that policy still exists. And in a sense, you're kind of breathing the fumes of that policy. And so, uh, you know, as a practicing Christian, I'm, I, I'll admit, I struggle with the notion because there's still some people that look at me kind of wild and say, you know, no, it's, it's an issue of sin when somebody gets right and, you know, and, and the way we talk, you know, when somebody gets right with God and changes their attitude and their thoughts, um, um, that will change the, 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 the whole direction of the individual. Uh, I don't doubt that. I've seen stories like that, but I think that, uh, um, again, as I said before, I'm getting a little age on me and I'm trying to figure out how to be balanced in my <laughs> life. And so part of that balance is is that... Um, uh, Yes, there might be people who have, uh, who deal with evil, and the heart can be changed. Yes, but I think that when we have a when we have a conversation on institutional racism, we have to talk about the fact that there's a document. We all know that document that says that out of five black men, three of the five count as one person. Uh, we know that there's uh, all kinds of legislation you know, fugitive slave law and different things along this line. I think we have to talk about the fact that, that, that those policies existed and affected generations of individuals. So, so I don't think one cancels out the <clears throat> other. I just think that, that, that we have to have the conversation in its right context. Mm. Yeah, I think that's where I am now. As far as the policies uh, contribute to racism, if I'm on the right track, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I feel it's a fight that we're going to have to always fight um, just because there's people our age, 20 years old, that are racist and don't even know why they're racist. Mm -hmm. they're, they don't even know. <laughs> they, and True. because of those policies that you just spoke of, it, just because those laws that put in place because their great 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 grandfather <laughs> was the one probably helped write it or probably had a vote in it so and it just got passed down passed down and now they don't even know why their grandfather doesn't like black people or minorities and they just love their grandfather so 
they feel like, oh, what he is saying is true. Or, oh, I know all the rappers that rap about drugs are black, so I guess he's it's true. And at the end of the day, it is how you can know Christ, you can love Christ, but how well of a relationship do you have with him? Because he says, love the neighbors like I love the church. Mm. And therefore, like I said, you could you could love Christ and you can know Christ. You can know Christ, but it I struggle with the concept of I can't say anybody saved or not. I, I can't say that. But I struggle with the concept of you hating black people and saying you love I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I looked up when you was speaking about, I looked up a verse. I looked mm-hmm. up a verse about it. I don't know if we have any verses today, but Galatians 3 and 28, there's neither a Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there a male and female for you are all one in Christ. Mm-hmm. And that says it right there. Uh, it says it. This whole it could we could end it right there, honestly. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. But any any add-ons? Um, you Okay. Um, I was gonna kind of add on what you said about the when you start the notion about. I never actually heard people make that argument about um that it's like a sin issue. I would I would I would agree with you and disagree. I, well, I was also agree with you and disagree. I would say I would agree with you that it's, it's definitely like a – I was also add on this a mindset thing, like like what you've been taught, what you've been told. And also, like, kind of like if you think about how, like, the – kind of like the enemy, he uses, like, stuff to divide people. And if they can use that – like, I just – I saw a post uh, I saw a post on Instagram that said something about the enemy uses, like, to, uh, if he could just keep people from God anyway, even as by having hate in their heart, that keeps them from actually, like, actually experiencing, you know, not just experiencing God, but actually being able to fully be in a full relationship with God. Because you know, you know, if you love God, you love it. God says you love you love me. You love you love my people, and I think that's is also I would say it's also some spiritual, but it's also something like it, it's just something that our world has to deal with, and it's also in a way that, like I said, the enemy has just decided to keep us put us all against each other, and also the narrative like you know. Heavy on you know black you know black putting like black and white, Asian against Hispanic Hispanics against blacks, all all of us against each other, and more so to divide us and keep us in frictions and kind of like, and kind of like you know kind of like I guess taint our hearts a little bit too as well. So, mm-hmm. and it's like it's really what's in the heart, like really what's like because it's also what's in your heart too. Because like you know the Bible says what's you know. In the heart of a man is I can't figure the memory exact person. You know what the Bible says what's in the heart of a man, but you know that, and that's that's why I said having a relationship with God is important. Especially I feel like it can't change, but you also have to be willing to go with the change because you can know who God is, and it's because a lot of people accept Jesus like we said it before on the podcast. A lot of people accept Jesus as their you know their savior, but not the Lord of their life to actually make their decisions and dictate over them. So it it, it is it's, it's a spiritual thing, but it's also you have to be willing to like let go of old mindsets you carried on to, even like your even like the, your old beliefs. 
that you believed in that doesn't align with God's word. Say Joe, I I, I think um, I think you have helped me a little bit because within a certain context, the personal is certainly real, right? So again, if if somebody does not like me because of my skin color, they said something to my face, um, and things start off rather, you know. Um, uh, rough and abrasive, but over time they get to know me. Uh, that is very personal, right? Um, individual may have, uh, you know, it could be something very spiritual where they, you know, uh, they initially didn't like me, but then they feel convicted and then they, you know, wish to make it right. So so within a certain context, the personal is real. I think that, uh, you know, when we're looking at... Um, Laws on the books, and and that say, for example, uh, um, black man gets caught with crack, and he has, let's say, ten years in jail. And somebody else had powder cocaine, and they, you know, get kind of a slap on the wrist. And we've seen legislation now to 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 deal with those disparities in sentencing. But but I wouldn't I wouldn't look at that example and say, well, that's just the result of sin, right? I mean, that's a law, and that law has a disproportionate impact on uh, people of color. So we need to change the law. So I think so. I, I appreciate the explanation because, again, like I said, it kind of awakens me to the fact that there that within a certain context, the personal, we might see this idea of uh, of uh, uh, the spiritual, and. You know, thought does come to my mind. You know, when 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 we think about somebody like Jesus, Jesus dealt with the individual, mm-hmm. right? Am I am, am I right? Yeah, you're right? I mean, he interacts <laughs> he interacts with the individual, and he talks to the individual, and he will, he wants to empower the individual. So there's something to be said there about the role of the individual, and then there's something to be said about how you know again these these institutions that we wish to create and these, again, policies and these protocols and procedures that we that we utilize and how it impacts, again, uh, how government is now going to be kind of this um, um, uh, platform, if you will, to, uh, to further a system, a system of hate or a system of division. So I, I appreciate that. I was going to say this with Morgan, so you, say, so you can say something. Is that also when you when you're talking? I thought like the uh, something I've like heard before and I say before. Is sometimes it's not even just the person; it's also just the spirit in them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because especially like you know, I've my mom's always said like if that person's not happy, they don't want anyone else around mm-hmm. them to be happy. And a lot of it is just built on hate, and hate is sin. You know what I'm saying? And we all can have a little hate in us for everybody, and that's just the way it is, you know, and it's just sad because I know, like, you know, like I said earlier, I was, before I even thought about being a lawyer, I wanted to be in forensic science. That's what I was wanting to do. I wanted to do more of the biological, you know, type, and I remember when I was a sophomore, and it was the same semester COVID happened, and I was in U.S. government, and I was the only black girl in there, the only person, I think I was the only black kid in there. I'm, I'm pretty sure I was, and just some of the conversations, you know, 
we would have in there, it was very like, oh, I'm seeing my, I'm seeing my classmates for a whole different perspective. Mm. I'm like, so this is how y'all grew up. So this is how y'all think. You know, I'm like, what? You know, and I even remember during Black History Month, I've had people, there was people in the class like, oh, we didn't even know anything about Black History Month. What? It was just like, just so, such negative connotations about stuff. And I'm looking at them and I'm like, wow. You know, like, y'all are so free to speak on this, but the moment I say something, oh, it's mm. a whole different ball game. You know, mm. and just being in that class really changed. It, it completely, it, like, it didn't necessarily completely change my career because I'm still in the criminal justice world, but it it geared me more in a path that I was like, you know what, I, I feel like as a society we need not just black people, but black women, period. Because at the end of the day, black women are some of, we are the most hated people. We just are, as, as a country, as a society. Like some of the things I've heard that people have said about black women, said to black women, you're just like, that's crazy. You know, <laughs> like, whoa. And just being in this field that I'm, I rarely see, I don't see as many black women or, or being promoted or women of color, period, being promoted in any of these fields. And, you know, and... You know, like we said earlier, it is a lot of sin, it's a lot of hate, but like, especially if you go back, way back in the times, women was never respected, and then minorities was never respected, and you put those two together, we just so out of luck, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, we got nowhere to go, and I think it's, it's definitely a lot of like, it's a lot of checks and balances, you know, just mm -hmm. like the government has checks and balances, we have the legislative branch, the executive branch, the juice judicial branch it's, we have to have checks and balances within the society and I don't think we have enough of that mm -hmm. we're not checking just back and forth like a lot of the people that are in the government a lot of congress people like some of them really shouldn't be in there not just because of their politics but because of their age mm -hmm. they're not growing with us like right now we're we're growing faster than we would be like in the 60s or in the 70s you know or earlier than that and I just think as our government, we need to start putting more younger people in there. More, like, what's, I can't remember what place it was, but they had, like, a whole woman. It was, like, all women in there. It was, like, um, I think it was, like, a governor, and it was just, like, a whole board of women. And I was, like, yeah, not just because, oh, I'm so feminist, but it's just showing the change. Like, we've had to come this long just to have this many women in office, you know, and, and that's just that's just a lot, yeah. Well, just right quick, um, Black women, particularly in this 2024 campaign season, uh, black women are going to be one strong constituency. As a matter of fact, I would contend, I would contend that uh, black women, particularly for one of the parties, I'll let you determine which one, but for one <laughs> of the parties, uh, is really the anchor. Mm -hmm. um, I... Uh, uh, President Biden certainly got that with the appointment of Katanji Brown to the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, I think he got that with the uh, the selection of Kamala Harris as mm -hmm. VP. So, so black women um, are certainly probably the strongest constituency within the Democratic Party now. I don't say that to dismiss what uh, the, the points that you brought up. The points you brought up are spot on. Uh, in terms of of um, the, uh, the 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 history of women in the mm -hmm. country, and then the history of black women in the country, um, uh, I know that there's a, there's a few other points, but 
I think that that's an interesting conversation to have because I'm even hearing some conversations about the role of the quote unquote strong black woman. Have you have you heard this? Yes. And so 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 yes. so I, and maybe maybe we'll have to have that some other time. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm, that'd be an interesting conversation. We could definitely we could definitely have it tonight, but. Uh, I just wanted to go ahead and brag on black women uh, just because I'm proud of them. I looked up the statistics just because I've always known black women have always been the anchor of education. Um, They've always excellence is their last name. Excellence is their last name. I got a few statistics for you. The black woman gets 64.1% of bachelor's degrees. 71.5 of master's degrees and 65.9 of doctorate medical or dental degrees. And I'm sure that's in the black community um, just because um, that might be in the black community. I didn't read the whole article, but um, I know that um, just our numbers, numbers as black people are way way lower i think we're just under 20 percent of america 13 13, yeah so that might be in the black uh community so therefore black men you need to step it up (laughs) (laughs) go to college graduate graduate but at the same time i'm so proud of the black queens all across America, y'all doing your thing, and y'all all, y'all stay doing it. Uh, these these are black women. At one time, um, what was it? Uh, what ten years ago? Then when we had the teen pregnancy, I guess you call it epidemic. Um, a lot of a lot of black women were in that, and so they were going to college while having babies. And so, I'm proud. And that's probably leading back to the, <laughs> but at the same time, I, I'm I'm proud to um, I'm proud to have a black mother, to one day have a black wife, to one day, or have black sisters. So yeah. But yeah, no, I it's, I definitely agree. It's definitely we are definitely the anchor of a lot of things. You know, we pass down a lot of you know culture through word of mouth. We've done a lot of stuff. You know. And coming from a single parent household, you know, I was just, I've been more around black women than I have of anything else. And just knowing that I come from a single black mother and she was always like, Morgan, you're a strong person, but it is what makes you strong. You know what I'm Mm. saying? She was like, just because you're strong doesn't mean you always have to be strong. And it goes into the strong black woman where I've had friends where it's like, you know, it's not even by what they say, but it's how they act. Whereas they think, oh, well, this is not going to bother you because you're black. You've been through enough. You know, you can handle it. You got it. Baby, that was like 300 years ago. What do you mean? <laughs> like, what? You know, and it's just stuff like that where it's like it really makes you understand as a black woman that we're really misunderstood in a lot of different perspectives. And I'm and I'm really glad that you brought up the, the different statistics and stuff because that's not really taught. Like, if you take any criminal justice classes, I don't hear that. I, I just really don't. You know what I'm saying? I hear about women in general, which, I mean, fun, cool, whatever. But I never hear about black women. Not as much. Not really. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's uh, certainly something to be said about, uh, you know, solidarity among black women. There's also something to be said about, uh, uh, the again, uh, the, the history 
um, uh, and the role of black women in American history, let's say it that way, to, to talk about the fact that just as something as recent as the modern civil rights movement, you'll see all throughout the movement black women starting, black women forming, black women structuring, um, and then, of course, for the time, the notion is is that, well, a man has to play some role in terms of being the, the face, the spokesperson. But uh, you can't talk about the American Civil Rights Movement and not talk about Rosa Parks or Septima Clark or mm-hmm. Ella Baker. Mm-hmm. Ida B. Wells. A case in point, uh, uh, story goes, uh, you know, Ida Wells uh, was a major contributor to the NAACP. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I love telling the story, said that um, there was a lady who was part of the board, Mary White Ovington, white lady. And um, if you can imagine back at this time, there were the Archibald Grimke, the Archibald Grimke, and there was W.E.B. Du Bois, and some of these brothers, uh, James Weldon Johnson, some of these brothers get in the room. And uh, Miss Ovington uh, just, she would just swoon when these men came into the room and sat down. And, um, you know, they could say, uh, you know, two plus two is nine, and it was, it'd be fine. And uh, just so happened that Miss Ida B. Wells spoke up, and um, she had an idea about doing something. And the uh, story goes that it was Mary White Ovington who said, no, 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 that, that's not the way that we need to move. And so when you, when you look at uh, particularly the, uh, some of the dynamics between um, uh, white women and black women mm-hmm. um, um, uh, in terms of movement politics, when you think about white women and black women in terms of feminism, you know there hasn't always been a uh, a solidarity there. You look at the fifties and the sixties, and you have uh, you know white women who are saying, "Well, we want to work. We want to be part of the working world." Well, you had black women who've always worked. You know, uh, there's never been a time where a black woman hadn't known something about work, washing mm-hmm. somebody's clothes picking somebody's cotton, mm. uh, taking care of somebody's baby. And so black women have always worked. And so, so the whole, in some cases, there's even, you know, really good conversations about, you know, the, the, the whole idea of, of work, uh, access to work. Well, black women have always had that. And so how, you know, so, so sometimes the, the messaging and the arguments of feminism and African womanism and some of these different things, you know, um, um, uh, it really takes shape when you start to think about again the role of the black woman. So, so that's a good example of struggle to strength. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially, yeah. especially speaking on the feminism part, like I, I mean, of course, I'm not friends with these people anymore, but you know, I, I'm not very, I'm not very quick to anger a lot. Um, do I maybe a little dramatic and silly? Yes, <laughs> whatever, you know. But even at a point where I had, you know, tried my best to was like, hey, this is, I don't like this, I don't like this. It was on like, you're aggressive, you're this, you're that. I said, y'all ain't my friends. I knew right then, I was like, this ain't my people. <laughs> I said, y'all, bye ain't, bye. y'all are my people, because if you knew me, you wouldn't be doing that. You know what I'm saying? You're basing what you're saying off of being just racist, period. You know what I'm saying? Because like I always said, like, to know me is to love me, to love me is to know me. But if I've never been aggressive or overreactive or this and that, you have no reason to say it other than 
you as being racist. And and it's a lot like, that's why I said like earlier in the podcast, that's why I said, you know, as black women, we see things sometimes a little bit different because I hate to say it, sometimes black men are accepted more than black women are. Like, and I've had this conversation when I was in high school with a white girl. You know, she was saying all this stuff to me and stuff. And I looked at her and said, huh, well, that's funny then. I said, you're accepting more of a black man than you are of a black woman. But I bet when he take you home, who are you going to see? His mama, <laughs> his sister, his granny, his cousins, his friends. But you can't accept a black woman. But that's who mm. you're going to see when you, get, when you go to his house. And a lot of people don't, they don't get that and they don't understand that. And you can also flip it and say, it's the same thing for black men. You know, mm. the, a lot of them really don't know how to conversate, how to speak to black women. And you're sitting here like, whoa, what? Like, your mama black, your sister black, your cousins <laughs> are black. Like, how do you not know how to speak to us, you know? And I've been in classrooms, I've had friends that have talked so horribly about, about black women. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Like, what are y'all doing? And it, it really, it, it's it's not even just like a black or white issue. It's really, it can be just black on black a lot yeah, of times. And, and, and it's and it really is sad because it's like, you know, some black men can add on to the thing that black women are aggressive, that black women are this and black women are that, black women are that. But most of the time, we're, we've been holding on to all of this stuff for years. Like, we're probably some of the most baggage holder people ever. Like, some of the baggage that black women carry on a day-to-day basis, half these, half these other women probably can't even hold that themselves. Mm. Well, well, Morgan, <laughs> you, you really talking because it, I've heard, again, some of these conversations about the strong black woman myth. Mm-hmm. And my, my immediate notion, when the first time I heard it was that, well, what's so wrong with the strong black woman? My mother was a strong black woman. What's so wrong with the strong black woman? And then you begin to hear what you just articulated is that, you know, the, you know, the, and then it made me even think, my mother may have left here, uh, and again, there's one argument that would have said, well, you know, uh, spiritually speaking, you know, when, when God calls you home, you're going, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's <laughs> real. I get that, but she had high blood pressure. She had high blood pressure, and there's something to be said about the fact that, you know, the the maybe uh, the internalized worry, maybe uh, you know, uh, you know, the concern for the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, uh, my mother was one who prayed, and you know, was kind of that spiritual anchor for the family. But yet, still, you know, uh, when you hear something about your children, and yet you, you know, um, uh, and and again, we all have grown up uh, in in this environment. You you got that one person who you know they give it to God. I believe that. At the same time, it's still on the mind. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so you think about the fact that uh, 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 all of that weight that she carried, but living in in a in a Western culture that says that uh, you know um, to talk about mental health is a is is a sign of weakness. And um, to say that you, you know, need to talk about it is a sign of, uh, you know, that uh, that's just silly. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you, so I, I think you make a very real point there in terms of black women in particular holding on to a lot. And so now as a result, maybe we need to reevaluate this strong black woman statement and this strong black woman imagery 
and allow for black women to say, you know what, this is a, this is a lot. I, I either want to decompress or I want mm-hmm. to detach myself. Self-care means something to me. Um, you know, that I don't have to carry everything on my shoulders and essentially to prove. Mm. I, yeah, yeah. It, that's it's a, definitely true because, like, especially as for the black culture, it's always been like, oh, black men shouldn't cry. Black men shouldn't cry. But it's like, but while y'all doing that, y'all also making black women not wanting to do that. You know, we're supposed to be the the caring people, this and that, but we're not caring to ourselves. Mm. You know, and it's almost like we can't, Sometimes it's like with some men, it's like, oh, they want us to be your like their mothers because their mothers acted like that. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, who mothered us? Who are going to help us in a relationship, you know? And it's just like, especially like being in a PWI, as a black woman, you're very just like, I don't want to say nothing in class because then I might get blackballed or, mm-hmm. you know, people might talk about me. It's very like, mm, I'm going to be quiet. I'm not going to say nothing. I might nod, but I'm not going to speak. I'm not going to do nothing because it's always like, oh, you're aggressive. You're too much. You're overreactive. You're like, man, I just said hello. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but it's automatically that first instinct. And so as black women, that's why we're just very just, that's why a lot of people are like, oh, she's so she's so standoffish. Nobody wants to deal with her. You're making me like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're not allowing me to speak how I want to feel. You're not allowing me to laugh and stuff while being like, oh, you're too loud. You're so overreactive. So I'm just like, okay, I want to be quiet. But you got a problem when I'm quiet. So what do you want? Well, well. <laughs> so, so in 2024, we're still seeing these dynamics play mm-hmm. out. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, very much so. <laughs> very much. Yeah. I feel like uh, when it comes to white people, they just know now. They're more aware now. It's in their face now. They just don't care. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and that's what makes it worse is that they don't care. Mm. And and I say it half the time. Like I've gotten a lot, a lot of it from people of color. Mm-hmm. You know. Even the person I just mentioned that was like, oh, you're aggressive, or this, it was from someone that was a person of color. Really? Yeah, and that's what hurts the most when it comes from your own people or when it comes from minorities. Because you're like, we should be on the same playing field, but obviously Mm. you play on another field. Mm. I'm over here playing (laughs) softball, you playing soccer. We we in two different aspects. So, and I, and I know I know time is an issue here uh, for toss and talk, but the, the, the question comes to my mind. Uh, individual of color says to you that you're being aggressive. Now, uh, what does, quote, unquote, and we've had this conversation in, in my political science class, what does blackness look like in that situation? Because, and, and again, I'm, I'm making assumptions, don't know the individual, but I would assume that that individual, again, a person of color, um, more than likely, noticeable, right? Um, more than likely, um, um, maybe, maybe, individual that identifies with the quote-unquote culture. Um, maybe, I don't know. But, uh, uh, but in that situation, that person looked at you and made a statement about you, um, as you just said, you would assume that there would be this sense of solidarity among uh, you and that individual being two people of color. So now, mm-hmm. you know, so now the, the question in my mind is, is that where does blackness fall in um, uh, given that situation? And somewhat rhetorical question, the, the, the point I'm trying to make is is that I think that uh, just being a little older, I would share 
blackness has very little to do with the melanin. That may be yesterday's news, right, <laughs> uh, to you all. Blackness has very little to do with the colloquialisms, uh, whether you can jump, uh, whether you can party. Um, but blackness is very much rooted in a social, political, and an economic notion of who you are and where you are and where you stand. Now, in this case, again, talking to a sister who has found, um, um, by all indications, you found, again, your sense of voice, your, 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 your uh, sense of focus, and uh, that clashes at times with not only um, the majority population, but it's also clashing with other people who look like you. Sadly, some people don't understand that it is that consciousness that is shaping you. Mm-hmm. And sadly, sometimes we give in to the, the, the visceral or the, uh, the, 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 the surface level, the superficial, and we think that we are quote-unquote black. But to tell the truth, we're, um, and I encourage you to look it up, it's, you know, you're, you're very, you know, uh, very much like step and fetch it. You're very much like pig meat Markham. You gotta look up those folks. I'm, I'm using some old name. You're 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 playing a character. Mm-hmm. Really, you're a caricature. Yeah, okay? and that's that's how it felt right. too, because it was like me and this person had already had talked about how we've been so affected by when white people have been racist to us. So it was like when that person did that, and we were having a conversation because of something this person did, and they just turned it back on me, and I was like, and I was talking to them like I'm talking to you right now. And it was, I'm like, oh, you're aggressive, you're hard to talk, you're this and that. And just by that, it really, I honestly, I didn't have anything else to say to, to this person. I just mm. stopped completely. Because right then and there, it showed me so much of this person. Because I said, at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with how our relationship was, nothing else. You still see me as this black person, and that's it. You see me nothing more. I uh, wanted to bring up, I wanted to bring up this uh, thing. I believe I saw it. Maybe it might have been one of Umar Johnson's pod, one of his sit-ins or something. It was, it was something. It might have been Stephen A. Actually, I think he had um, a podcast or he was on the show with somebody that was very right-leaning, but. Uh, the argument was made by the white guy. The argument was we have black people in the NBA. We have black people in the NFL. We have black millionaires. And then the rebuttal was the dis- the difference or adding to the uh, argument, it was something like um, he was trying to argue against why there's not black people in corporate America. And I know this is a little bit off topic, from what y'all was talking about, just a little bit, it just popped up in my head. And uh, it's a great example, but um, Stephen A. came back, I believe it was Stephen A., came back and said, yes, we have black millionaires. Yes, we have NBA stars, black NFL stars, but the difference between corporate America and these sports NBA, basketball, soccer, whatever it is, is the goalpost never moves. Mm. In corporate America, you have 
this white guy or whoever is stealing your job or, or is way less qualified to you because their dad is the boss or they know somebody to get them the job and they're on the buddy system. NBA, the goal, the, the goal is always 10 foot. The three point line never changes. The scoring never changes. It's broadcasted on live television. So there's no backdoor action happening. Mm. And it just goes to show if you level the playing field, what black people could really do. Mm. That's pretty tight. That's pretty tight. Um, Reverend Jesse Jackson would, would agree with you wholeheartedly. You you talking like Reverend Jackson. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, many of you may not know that name, but uh, may not remember that name. But uh, you know, Reverend Jackson was one of my uh, one of the people that I I hate to say idolized, but I certainly looked up to as a when I was your age. But you talking just like Reverend Jackson because he he made inroads in Major League Baseball, Major League Football. And he would he would constantly talk about leveling the playing field, mm. and so uh, uh, so no you, I think you make a very strong uh, statement there, um, uh, and history shows us you know we talk about struggle to strength, history shows us that you know 1865, people are going to be freed from slavery literally not a dime to their name. Mm. And then you go from 1865, and let's say you go to maybe 1885, maybe even 1900. Uh, you're going to see the formation of what we now know as HBCUs. Mm-hmm. Mm. You're going to see the formation of um, uh, what we now call fraternal organizations. And so you've got a lady in Richmond, Virginia, Maggie Lena Walker, who uh, she was part of a group called the Order of St. Luke. And a dollar, maybe two dollars a year was the cost for life insurance then. And she will you take the, the order of St. Luke and uh, they, they develop life insurance programs. She'll start a bank. She'll start a de- uh, department store. Um, uh, and so you begin to see all these examples. And, of course, we certainly know about Greenwood and uh, uh, in Tulsa. You'll certainly see these communities develop by the turn of the century, and I mean, and just this bustling, enterprising group of people who started literally within a generation, Mm. right? So your point is very, very real. And then we begin to see, sadly, the the resentment, the fear, Mm -hmm. and so we begin to then see legislation pass. It kind of goes back again to the institutions. Mm Legislation is passed to curtail, and then we begin to see the vigilante um, attitude, and um, and then we begin to see, you know, where the, by the nineteen well nineteen nineteen riots and lynchings and such. So point the point is spot on. If if you level the playing field, which again another conversation for another day <laughs> on affirmative <laughs> action, but if you level the playing field. What things can be done now? This is something that I would share with the three of you, as uh, individuals that's about to make your mark in the world. Now that you are empowered, you have to now learn how to exert your power. Hmm. There's a lot of people who want power, but they are not empowered. Okay, hmm. 
So when you are empowered, you got to get the knowledge. And the history is so rich and real to the whole idea of knowledge. The fact that you live in a society where you're going to have to learn how to navigate. Okay? Um, um, you know, there, the, um, and again, this is a Christian broadcast, uh, <laughs> a podcast. So the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, right? Yes. And so, so, so if you take that, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So if God is ordering your steps, and you may even sing that song, you know, order my steps in your word, right? If he's ordering your steps, there may not be a straight path. In life, there may not be a straight path. There could be all kinds of landmines, and so you're going to have to learn how to navigate and move so that you can get to where you need to go. But if God is ordering your steps, he makes sure that you don't step on the landmines. You see what I'm saying? So, so you have to learn how to navigate, particularly in a society that may have their feelings about you. But see, now you are empowered. And as a result of being empowered, now you have power. So when you feel like reacting and getting somebody told, you know, you know saying whatever <laughs> comes to your mind, you know, you, when you've got power to kind of keep yourself under, under control. You've got power. You've got power to, uh, to, uh, to again, to know who I am. And uh, you may even get in a situation where somebody, those microaggressions, you, you ever hear, mm -hmm. you know, okay? Mm -hmm. So, so <laughs> those microaggressions come up. And so, you know, sometimes you may react, and everybody knows that you're justified because everybody heard it. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the way the system is, the fact that you reacted, um, you're going to get a stronger punishment than the person who made the statement. Mm -hmm. So now that you are empowered, hopefully now you have power to say, you know what, at my time, at my choosing, I heard that microaggression, but I'll respond to it when I choose mm -hmm. because I have power. And you'll be surprised in your in your professional lives. You'll be surprised when the microaggression comes out, and you could have reacted, but you kept your cool. And it may be two months. It may be two years down the line, and then that same person has to come back to you, mm -hmm. and has to mm -hmm. apologize. And 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 you know, and we live in a society where again the question is legitimate. Well, why do we have to react that way? Well. You know, there's, uh, and, and that's a legitimate question. Another discussion for another day. But I, but uh, I would just say that empowerment is so important. So when we think about struggle to strength, okay, people had to be empowered to know how to move. People had to be empowered to know how to act. People had to be empowered to know how to respond. And so when you think about this legacy that we stand on today. You know, um, uh, it's that sense of empowerment. Now, you know, if you need if you need a biblical explanation of that, Luke, probably like uh, uh, near the end of the book, right? So, so Jesus, he's he's crucified, he's buried, he rises on the third day. All power is given unto him, and uh, there there near the end of the book of Luke, the the Bible says that he took the time as he walked through that door where the disciples were were. Uh, he walks through the door, 
they see that he's Jesus. He says, you know, you know, stick your fist up in my up in my side. You know, see my my hands. It's me. The Bible says at that point he opened up their understanding. He empowers them. Okay. Then when you get to Acts, and we, we know Acts and Luke is written by the same person. Mm-hmm. When you get to Acts, first chapter, it says, he says, now I want you to now go to Jerusalem until, and I want you to wait there until you are endued with power from on high. So if you didn't get the information, you wouldn't know to go to get the power. You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So you got to be empowered to have power. See? <laughs> see? So, so, so that's, I think we as black people, that's the beauty of who we are as black folks is that we have this opportunity if we're willing to seize it, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, you know, if, if I only see history as, oh, man, that's boring, I, that's, that's a drag, I don't want to deal with it. But it's, it's, it's really shaping you for the country that you live in, the world that you live in. And so now that you, so you need to know, and not so much know that, well, they lynched us, they beat us, but but understand that, again, I said it a few minutes ago, that society said one thing about you, but you came into a space where, again, you were uplifted, mm-hmm. and you were told that you could succeed or achieve, you know, um, that you can, you know, that you can reach the pinnacle of success. Uh, you know, you you need to know that you need to know that uh, you know there are these like great civilizations in Africa. You know, that's so important to know, right? You need to know that uh, you know if it's Axum or if it was the 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 Ghanaian Empire or if it's Kemet. You need to know that stuff. You know, you need to know that. I mean, thousands of years ago, there were these big prosperous nations on the continent, the cradle of civilization. And once you're empowered, again, it shapes your whole outlook in terms of who I am and where I am and how am I going to fight this battle. And so even our whole notions of, you know, uh, the Uncle Tom, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the, the black person who's trying to act white, you know, that even begins to dissipate because when you know who you are and you know where you're going mm-hmm. and you know the way that you've got to move to get to where you're going, I now see my brother and my sister differently. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Because, again, we understand you are empowered to navigate, right? And so, you know, are you really going to, you know, uh, are you going to just get out there on the front line with, uh, you know, just uh, a few rocks when, you know, somebody else has, you know, these, you know, huge machine guns, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you got to think strategically and you got to think about how to get to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Anyway, anyway. No, but like, it's, it's so true, especially if you already know who you are, when people say things about you, it doesn't, it doesn't bother you. You're like, yeah. okay. You know, that's why it's like, a lot of people don't understand it's like, being silent has a lot more power than you even think, especially mm. people that want to get a reaction out of you. And you're just like, yeah. okay, <laughs> <laughs> like whatever. Like I know who I am, but what are you? Because if you knew who you was, you wouldn't have said that in the first place. You wouldn't have acted like this. 
Like, people who know who they are don't want to entice someone, don't want to get someone angry, don't want to get someone upset, don't want to cause hate or fear or upset because at the end of the day, when they don't know who they are, they're just unhappy. Damn. And Mm. it's just such of a demon that's just eating them up, eating them up, (laughs) eating them up. So they got to eat somebody else up. They got to mess somebody else up. But it's like, if I already know who I am, baby, you can't touch me. <laughs> like, I'm okay. I'm good. You you got your own. I know you unhappy, and I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to keep you in the corner because I know what I got going on. So it, it really is just like, I think especially as a black community, if we really stand on I am that I am, I am who I am, no one can, not no one can touch me, but as far as like, you can throw your rocks at me, but at the end of the day, I am who I am. They may scratch, but it ain't going to leave a deep cut. Because I am who I am. And if you already know who you are, it's not going to bother you. Because like you said, you're already on this set goal. And I've always said, it's easily, it's more easily to influence someone that doesn't have a set goal in mind. Doesn't know exactly who they are. Doesn't, no one can like really stand on their own truth, you know. But someone that already has a plan. Like, especially, like, in high school, you see a lot of people that have no idea where they're going. Mm-hmm. And those are some of the most easily influenced people ever. That's why, like, you know, you don't see half those people. You graduate. They off doing who knows God what, you know. But then you see people that's always had a plan, that always stuck to it. They're very hard to move. Very hard to move. Yeah. Morgan, you, you making sense to me. <laughs> you making sense to me. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I agree wholeheartedly. So now you see as a people, some of the work that we really have to do to encourage one another, right? To yeah. to support one another. And uh, and sometimes we let these silly things get in the way, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, brother comes with braids. I don't understand, you know, uh, or dreads, I guess. Uh, you know, and, and, and so I, I'll admit that, that in my station in life, I'm trying to work through some of the things that Again, 20 years ago, the generation that brought me up had strong feelings about, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to work through those things to say that, you know, if I really care about my brother, if I care about my sister, then I got to let some of this stuff, maybe I got to kind of let some of this stuff go so that we can encourage another generation, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, you know, I've got uh, I've got family members, you know, tatted all over, you know, <laughs> and I come from, a, you know, I came from a generation that, you know, a tattoo was Lord. <laughs> oh, my. I mean, you know, and, uh, you know, and so to 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 connect with the brother or the sister, I, I need to do it. I have to do it. And that may be something that I have to kind of look beyond in the name of that sister or that brother is important to me. I want to encourage them to succeed and achieve, right? So maybe that goes back to your question, Mr. Bristol, and trying to come together. Somebody has to be confident in who they are enough to say, I'm not going to let these things distract me from trying to reach out. And then hopefully, hopefully in this case, some younger people uh, will be willing to connect because I don't feel like that I have to come in and start trying to talk, you know, in a in a in a way that maybe you all talk to try to connect with you. Mm. I think you all could read right through that, right? Yeah. And particularly when I mess up, 
and I start using words and I use them incorrectly. You all gonna you all gonna figure that out. But <laughs> you all gonna say, man, you know, you, you just need to hush. But uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, but there's something to be said about. I think that you know, hopefully, there's a respect factor that uh, you know you welcome me, and I'm welcoming to you. And now now we can try to come together and move forward. So, well. <laughs> that being said, it's about that time. <laughs> this has been actually been a pretty good episode. Opened up my, my mind and opened up my mind to think about some things and kind of like a different perspective. But also, just kind of like when you just want to add on this before you clo- officially close out, when you said something, when you kind of go back to when you were talking about, you know, black women being like that, that strong. You know, holding the back backbone. I was remembering like how my granddad talked about his mother. Like when his when his dad was at work, his mother was keeping the household together, and it was kind of like the the black woman has like she was building the house. I know she building the house, so she was building the children up. She was feeding the children. She was also you know building the husband. So she was she really was contributing to every every aspect. Even like my grandmother, she did that with the family. She she built my granddad up. She she took care of her, you know she took care of her children, and even when. Her, her children got older. Like to this day, she still take care. You know, all of us. Like me and my me and my cousin, she still take care of us to this day. And she's like, she's had she's had she's had a heart attack. She's had a heart surgery, and yet somehow she's still standing. And even even like losing a, her like a couple months ago, me and my granddad died. Losing her husband in sixty years, she's still like she's still standing, trying to be the backbone of the family. And and I know her mother was the same way. You know, women like just like her that she grew up around. Her sisters were the same way. The backbone of the family. You know, keeping their family together, building their family up. And yeah, that's all I'd say. <laughs> With that being said, thank you for joining us, Mr. Adam Dixon. Thank you. I've really enjoyed uh, having a <laughs> conversation with you. Yeah. That being said, anybody want to get some closing remarks before we just close out and go on about our days? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> With that being said, thank you guys for listening to another episode of Toss Story. We're tossing topics and talking about them. The Christian Podcast. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Don't forget to live in the moment and enjoy the view. Love you guys and be safe. And see you next time on the next episode of Top and Top. Bye. What's up, guys? We hope you enjoyed this episode of Toss and Talk. We thank you so much for your viewership. And, talk, and you are what makes Toss and Talk possible every single week. Don't forget to stay connected and follow us on Instagram at, at Toss and Talk. And remember to always live in the moment and enjoy the view. This is Nick signing out. Have a blessed day.